from many, many times, um, but uh, this morning I want to I'm going to go at it from a different angle than I've ever preached at it before. Um, in Matthew chapter 28, um, Matthew chapter 28, and uh, I do a lot of debt to several different pastors um, as I've, I've studied and took some time, um, and uh, so just to consider and contemplate this passage of scripture, um, and so. Um, so this morning, what I want to offer to you is uh, uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. And uh, <clears throat> so if you're physically able to do that, would you, or physically able to, would you please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's holy and written word? Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord that's given to us this morning. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All power, literally authority, is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy, of the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. Let's pray. Father, my prayer this morning is that as we unpack this reality that you would give us fresh um, wisdom, fresh encouragement from your text, uh, God, that we would, we, would see, we would see you at work um, in mighty ways. And we, uh, we just ask that your blessing would be upon your word now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So if I gave this, uh, if I gave this sermon a title, um, and I'd have to really thank uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Kenneth Gentry for this. Uh, it would be simply this. He shall have dominion. He shall have dominion. Uh, it's interesting, as we look uh, at Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, uh, we see Jesus, right, uh, coming to the disciples at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew. Um, we come and, and we see him. He's, he's already been crucified. He's been resurrected. Um, he's already appeared. And now he is getting ready to give them the final commission before he is ultimately lifted up into the, uh, uh, into the heavens, right, uh, to sit uh, on the throne of David. And this, this reality for us really serves, as we read Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, I think a lot of times a lot of pastors look at this as, see, you're not doing enough, do more, right? And I think it's, a, and whether, whether we have, and I have done this in past times, so, um, I, I have been guilty of this, but I think a lot of times, a lot of pastors look at this, and instead of just saying, isn't this a wonderful promise and a glorious truth and a reality that's going to happen, pastors a lot of times come at this text and they're like, see, you need to be doing more evangelism, do better, but that is not the way I'm going to come at this text this morning. So while this text this morning certainly is a command, it also serves to encourage us and not just us, but Christians all over the world, um, Christians in Ukraine, Christians in Russia, Christians in China, Christians in Indonesia, wherever they are, it serves to encourage them that despite suffering and hardships and persecutions, Jesus will have dominion. He will have dominion. You see, for us, I think this is difficult, I think, because we, we think of terms of precedence. Presidents come, presidents go, don't they? 
Some have successfully stayed in office for rather uh, rather long, lengthy periods of time. For those of you that have been around, uh, maybe for a little longer, um, I don't know anybody who, uh, maybe some of you remember this, but uh, prior to the passing of the 22nd Amendment, we had a president uh, named Franklin Roosevelt who stayed in office for four different terms, um, although there's some debate on the last term who actually was, uh, was president, whether it's him or his wife. But nonetheless, he was elected to four terms. And the reality is, is that, that even, the, but even the most successful presidents become men of the age, and they eventually die. And this is true, whether it's presidents or whether we're talking about kings, whether we're talking about nations, right? Um, for us, new presidents are elected or, you know, are, um, we have an election every four years where a new president is elected and they come into power or uh, an old president is reelected and he continues on in his power. But even if we broaden this out to the, to, the, to, the reign, to the realms of the nations and kings and tyrants and despots throughout the nations and throughout the world, I think we still see that, that, that they're still men of the age. They still become men of the age. That is, they become dead, right? They die eventually, and their power is passed on. But for us who are in the church, we have an incredible, incredible claim, those who follow Jesus Christ. We have an incredible claim. Because our, our, our king doesn't die. Our king and his authority isn't passed to another. Our king is the king of kings and the lord of lords. And he is the one who says, and surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the world. Or that's what the King James says. The, the translation could also be very, very equally rendered to the end of the age. Um, but, but the reality is, is no, matter, no matter what, Jesus Christ didn't acquire his power and his authority through election, through revolution, or by inheritance. His power is given to him by the Father, who is the creator of the heaven and the earth, and he will not pass away. His authority will not pass away. And for us who are in Christ, then, this has far-reaching, uh, this has far-reaching consequences, doesn't it? Let me, give you, let me show you a couple different, different consequences so when Jesus tells us to go, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit, right, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever have commanded you, right, when he has told us that, it has radical implications for varying different uh, realms, different spheres. So the first and foremost, the one I think we usually think of, is that, in the, that is in the, the realm of, of religion, right? We think of, uh, we think of uh, the, the, the local church or the, uh, the church, and we think of, of God's movement throughout the nations uh, uh, through, through saving sinners uh, from, from damnation and saving them to bring them and reconcile them to the Father through the Son, His Son, Jesus Christ. And we know that Jesus is the God who is... Uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is triune. And so we don't worship, or we worship this God who is Trinity. In Trinity, um, there, is, uh, there is only one God, one Father, one Son, one Holy Spirit. And He is the God who is the God of the living. He is the God who has provided us salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the, the only one that is to be worshipped. We are to conform our worship to Him. And so a lot of times, I think this is where we leave it, right? I mean, I grew up in a culture that if you, that either uh, religion, this is what my papa said, religion was was okay for for women and for young children. Now he thought differently later in life as he faced his own eternity. He came to see things quite differently, but um, in his younger years, he this was his famous saying: "Religion's okay for women and children, but men don't need it. We don't need it." And others have said similar things. Uh, so you have that contrast on the one hand, but the other contrast was, and I heard this growing up too, 
Son, there are two things you never talk about in public. That is your religion and your politics, right? And so it was something to be kept to yourself. And so a lot of times I think we, we keep it we keep it in ourselves. And so religion is something that we keep personal, and it's personal to us. But it has far-reaching ramifications for religion, for, for how we look at life, why we're here, what, what is our purpose in life. But not only religion and our relationship with God the Father, right, and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, but there's also another far-reaching consequence, and one that probably most people don't want to talk about. But there's a second one, and that is political. That is a political consequence. You notice what Jesus says here? Notice what Jesus says here? Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. All power, all authority has been given to me. Paul would go to on Romans chapter 13, verse 1, and say, for there is no authority except that which, is, which God has established, or that which is established by God. Why? Because Christ is the ruler of all the kings of all the earth. Christ is sovereign. And he gives to the nations, he gives to the kings of the nations and to the, to the leaders of the nations their power. They owe everything to him. They are to, as Psalm 2 says, they are to kiss the sun lest he be angry. So he is to kiss the sun. They are to kiss the sun. And so within our preaching of the gospel, we need to rightly understand that in the preaching of the gospel, what we are doing is we are calling all nations to do exactly that. We are calling our nation and all nations to bow the knee and to kiss the sun. We are telling them that they are not the end all of authority. That Christ is the end all and their laws must conform to the righteous laws of Christ. But there's another way in which this, when Jesus says all authority and he gives us this commission and this commandment, there's another sphere in which it is, it is plainly, um, it is plainly uh, um, affecting, affecting, and that is simply our society. Our society. Because as we go and as we teach, you notice that's what Jesus says, right? And he says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Notice that. He says, first of all, teach them. And then he says, baptize them. And then he says, teach them some more, right? Now, notice that Jesus uses this very clearly to exert his, the reality that as the gospel is preached, societies are going to change. They're going to change. As the gospel is preached, as societies come to faith in Christ, as the gospel plows the nations, Christian communities, believing, loving, caring, merciful communities of hope, living in their communities will transform their society. Because they are putting the words of Jesus into action. But there's another way, I said three, but there, there's actually a couple more, but four, it would be family, the family unit. Because the teachings of Jesus, once they're put into place, transforms the way I see my family and my, my, um, my role within my family. See, Jesus' teachings, Jesus' teachings include all of his teachings. Not part of his teachings, not some of his teachings, but all of his teachings. And Jesus' teaching has far-reaching effects and ramifications upon the family unit. This is why we understand that relationships are only between husbands and wives. 
This is that the, the, there's only there's marriage between husbands and wives, and there is no other thing. There is there is no other type of quote unquote marriage that God recognizes. God does not recognize any other type of state sponsored. Uh, perversion of this institution that God and God alone created in the creation, and that is the the ordinance of marriage. And so husbands understand their roles as husbands, wives, uh, their roles as wives, children, their roles as children, parents, their roles as parents, and so on and so forth. And so husbands love their wives the way Christ loves the church, and the church submits, or the, the wife submits to her husband the way the church submits to Christ, and, and the parents bring the children up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. In other words, we don't turn our children over for them to be indoctrinated to, to other people. And other things, right? We 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 give we teach our children the gospel, and we turn them loose as arrows, as arrows. And lastly, then there's a personal reality for us, isn't it? There's a personal reality because as I acknowledge the authority of Christ in my life, and as I acknowledge the authority of Christ over me, I am going to surrender myself and follow the teachings of Christ. The Holy Spirit is going to transform me. He is going to transform my life. He is going to transform each and every individual believer because we are already in Christ a new creation, right? Whether that's in uh, 2 Corinthians or uh, in, in Ephesians 4, Paul tells us very clearly, he says we are new creations in Christ. And as we read even this morning, our, our text for our text for, uh, for our fighter verse this morning in, in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, Right? We're not, to, we're not to sin more that grace can abound more, but rather we are to humble ourselves under the authority of Christ. And so the authority of Christ is not potential authority. The authority of Christ is a realized authority, which means that Jesus is presently and, cur- and currently ruling. Right? Jesus is presently and currently ruling. Until the end of this age. He has all power. He has all authority. He, ha- he does not share his power or his authority with any other. He has authority in this, in, in this visible world. And you and I as Christians are, whether we're found across the continents of Canada or Europe, Siberia, where, wherever, Russia, I, I don't care. Jesus Christ is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Even in those nations that don't recognize him as such. Even those predominantly Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist nations, communist nations, atheistic nations, doesn't matter. Jesus, Jesus does not give up his authority for anyone or anything. And so let's, let's dig in here into our text. Let me give you some context here of what's been going on. And I'll just tell you, I doubt very seriously as my wife so elegantly and gently pointed out that apparently I had too much time on my on my on my uh, on my on my uh, um, my bottom this week, where I did too much studying and have far too many notes, uh, and so she told me you're not going to get through all this, so just uh, you should warn people. So I said I will. Okay, so you've been warned. So, what is the context though in which Matthew twenty eight sixteen through twenty occurs? Well, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20 occurs as the conclusion of the gospel. Now, notice that the opening verse reads this in Matthew chapter 1. One of the opening verses of Matthew chapter 1 says this. 
a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, you, find, you should find this interesting because Matthew wants to point us to the reality that Jesus is the king who has come. And he is the fulfillment of a promise that God made to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. And what is that promise that God makes to Samuel or to, to David in 2 Samuel 7, 16? And he says, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. And upon this promise and this accomplished fulfillment, Jesus now says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And to Abraham, God said in Genesis twenty-two eighteen, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And Jesus says, because I have this, all this authority in heaven and on earth, and it's been given to me, he now says the next thing here in Matthew chapter, six, Matthew chapter 28, go, therefore, and teach all nations. Go, therefore, and teach all nations. Matthew was very clear that Jesus Christ is the true son of David, the true son of Abraham, the king who sits on David's throne, the promised one. And Jesus himself preached about the kingdom, didn't he? The Gospel of Matthew is, is uh, the only place where the Sermon on the Mount, for instance, appears. It's the only place where the Sermon on the Mount appears. And, 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 and by the way, the Sermon on the Mount is not for Jews, not just for the Jews. Um, I know that there are some who would tell you that, but that's not the case at all. This is given as ethics for the kingdom. And so the Sermon on the Mount is given to us. And Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus gives us in this his, as the new and greater Moses, he gives us what he wants us to have in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And it is interesting that in this promise, this command to go therefore, it is filled with all sorts of implications because simply of this. You say, Pastor, what what do you mean? Well, this is what I mean by that. When Jesus says, go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, what did he have in mind? What did he have in mind? Well, first he had his authority, right, in mind. And yet in the midst of all this, he appeals directly to the Sermon on the Mount when he says, make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And it is interesting, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, it is interesting that in Matthew chapter 28, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, they're on a mount. Matthew 28, where are they? On a mount. On a mount. Matthew 5 through 7, Sermon on the Mount, Lord of Disciples. And Jesus gives them this command. Again, on a mountain. He's already expressed his authority throughout the Gospel of Matthew. When Jesus, anytime Jesus said, you have heard it said, but I say to you, this is Jesus exercising his authority. He says, but I tell you that everyone who, who is angry with his brother without a cause should be subject to judgment. Or in Matthew seven twenty, when it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but... 
So Jesus is very clear, and throughout the Gospel of Matthew, as you, as you look and as you take, pay, a, pay close attention to the Gospel of Matthew, you will see these kingly, authoritative sayings of Jesus that come bursting forth from the page that any first century Jew would have clearly recognized. Right? And I'll say to you that they did. How do we know this? Well, we know this because when the Jerusalem temple was destroyed in AD 70, what was the thing that the Christians did that were caught in Jerusalem? When the Romans army, when the Roman army surrounded and besieged Jerusalem, right, there was a brief respite. And so in the moment that the Roman army was peeled away and pulled somewhere else, all of the Christians recalled the words of Jesus that says, flee. And you know what they did? They fled. So the first century Christians would have clearly understood Jesus and his statement of authority and power over, over not just them, not just over the church, but over the nations. Over the nations. They would have clearly understood Jesus' kingly proclamation throughout the Gospel of Matthew. They would have clearly understood that Jesus was and is the King of Kings. And it's interesting, as you go through the Gospel, uh, the Gospel of Matthew here, chapter 28, verses 18 through, or 16 through 20, we see a couple different things going on here, don't we? There's a structure of sorts that, that, that sort of a, appears in the Gospel of Matthew, doesn't it? You say, well, well, what structure is that, Pastor? Well, let me show you this. There's, first of all, a situation. What is, a situ- what is the situation that's occurring here in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20? Well, first of all, it's after the resurrection, right? And he's appeared to the disciples, and Jesus comes up to them, right? They went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And, and it says in verse 16, look, look what it says. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, right? But some doubted. So that's the situation, right? They're there. They've seen all this. They've seen all of his miracles. They've seen everything. They've even seen him. The resurrection has occurred. And they're like, they're in awe. And yet, we still have, you know, some that doubted. Thomas, I'm sure, is certainly one of those. Maybe there's more. Maybe, maybe not. I, I don't know. But do you notice, do you notice Jesus' kingly declaration here in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20? Then Jesus came. He came up to them, right? And he said to them, All authority, all authority, what? All authority, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth, or in heaven or on um, unto me on on earth and in heaven on heaven in heaven and on earth. Sorry. And so, so he's 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 making a, a kingly declaration, right? Because Jesus says, "I am the King. I'm telling you, go." Go. So we not only have the declaration of the kingdom of God here being made, but we also have the realization here within this within this structure. We have the we have a realization that's going on here. And so, because Jesus says, "All authority has been given to me," right, um, in heaven and on earth, right, or in heaven and in earth, right. Because of this, He now says to us, "Go therefore." Isn't it interesting that long before Jesus says, or, or immediately before Jesus says, go, what does he say? What is he, what is he encouraging in them? What is he telling them to know? 
that he is their king who has established his kingdom. And this is the declaration of the kingdom to go. The realization is go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, right? teaching them, baptizing them, and teaching them some more. But then there's a promise. Right? And, and, and this is the promise right, that, that I think we, 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 often, we often forget about. Now, yes, Jesus is directly saying to the apostles, I'm going to be with you. Yes, absolutely, this is given to the apostles, right? But by application and extension, this also includes us. And so he says, I am with you even until the end of the world or the end of the age. And Jesus says, there, there is nothing that's going to stop me from being with you. And so Paul can write in Romans chapter 8, for instance, that death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor, right? nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is ours in Christ Jesus. Why? Because no matter what happens, nothing happens but by the providential activity of God. You say, now wait a minute, wait a minute. You're telling me that, that not even a, no molecule in heaven and earth moves without God's permission. Yes. Not even my fall on Monday. That was ordained by God. It was. And I'm fine with that because clearly there is something that I need to learn in my sanctification in that. Partly I think most of it is that it's okay not to be in control. Because you really never are, are you? We only have the illusion of control. But yes, God is sovereign in this. God is absolutely working. God is absolutely working all things for his glory. God is absolutely working in all things. Even in the bad things of life, yes, to bring good out of them. To bring good out of them for his glory and for his honor. And why can he make, why can he say that? Because he's the king. He's not just the king to come. He is the king that is now. Yes, we can look forward to that great and final day in which Jesus ultimately returns and judges the living and the dead, right? Well, I mean, we all can look forward to that. But we need to understand on that, that final day, as glorious as that is, Jesus' kingdom is no less working and moving and expanding now. Jesus is moving his kingdom forward through the preaching and the proclamation of the gospel as nations bow the knee to Christ. Right? And this is why Jesus can say, go therefore. Not just because I'm the king, but because I'm the king, I will never let you be alone. Therefore, you go in my power. Therefore, you go in my authority. Therefore, you go in my name. Therefore, you go in my promise. Go, therefore. Go, therefore. My brothers and sisters, it's important that we see Matthew 28, 16 through 20, not as a do better, be better text. I, mean, I think we would all admit, man, we could do a lot better. Right. I mean, I, I could I could have I could make sure I'm having more gospel conversations or I can make sure that I'm, I'm around more un, unbelievers. Right. I, I, I get that. I, I understand that. But that's not the point of the text here. The point of the text is not, hey, do better, do more. 
The text is, I'm the king, go. I'm the king, go. While you're going about your life, while you're working out your life, while you are living your life, make disciples. Make disciples in your workplace. Make disciples while you're on vacation. Make disciples while you're on wherever. If you're an assembly line worker, if you're a professor, if you're a teacher, if you're a whatever, make disciples. If you're a stay-at-home mom, make disciples where you are. Make disciples. This is the command, but also the promise. This is the promise of God. The realization that the kingdom of God the kingdom of God is expanding and working and moving in our nation. Like the cross is a, you understand that the cross was a beachhead that God established in the world. And from that moment, his victory was secure. He invaded from the cross into the nations and continues to do that for his glory and for his honor. Now, does that mean that we'll never face persecution or suffering or, 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 or quote unquote setbacks? No, 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 not, not at all. Not at all. There will, Jesus says there will be persecutions. There will be sufferings. There will be times in which it seems that, that, that darkness is, is, is pervasive, right? But that's from our view. That's from our view. From the view of Almighty God, his victory is already. His victory is already. And we are experiencing that victory in real time. His victory is already and we are simply experiencing that victory as we live in the day to day. Hebrews chapter 11 is filled with the, the hall of, 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 of faithful ones, right? The, the names of the faithful ones who have given their lives for the sake of Christ, who Gave their, who gave their lives looking, whether they, were, they, they laid down their lives or their lives were taken from them, whatever the case may be. I mean, the writer of Hebrews is very clear. Some of them were sawn in half. You say, well, that wasn't God winning. Oh, yes, it was. Oh, yes, it was. Some of them were, thro- were, were uh, uh, put, in, uh, put in all kinds of skins and they were, they were killed by dogs. That wasn't God winning. Oh, yes, it was. Oh, yes, it was. Oh, yes, it was. God works and moves through the everyday dealings and work of his people. God works through the everyday faithfulness of God's people. You know, I think, I think we live in our Western world where we think we, if we can just have our one big moment in the sun, Right? I mean, let's just have our one big moment and we can just be faithful to Jesus. That's not how Jesus called us to do things. He didn't call us to look for our one big moment in the sun where we can say, oh, look to Jesus. He says, as you go, make disciples. As you go, make disciples. Be faithful. In the little things. Don't despise the day of small things. See it as a blessing of God. See it as a merciful blessing from God. See it for what it is. As a gracious work of God in our world. And through us. Some of you are thinking, hey, he's sitting down. We're in trouble. No, I'm almost done. (laughs) 
But I will say this. Brothers and sisters, our God is not a God who leaves his commission undone. Our God is not a God who will leave his commission undone. Just like we are built upon the backs of faithful brothers and sisters who have gone before us, so the future generations will be built upon our backs as we faithfully leave a faithful, a faithful um, life of, of, of glorifying God and honoring him. God will be glorified in that. You say, well, my life really doesn't matter. Well, yes, it does. It matters that you be faithful simply as you go and make disciples as you have opportunity to make disciples. Make every minute count. Make every moment count for God's glory and God's honor. Make it count for his, his praise. And make disciples of all nations. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for your grace that is abundantly given to us. And God, as we've looked at, uh, at Matthew, just a, just a, a, we've just glimpsed the truth of what's in this text. God, as we've looked here in just this moment of the, of the, the radical implications that this passage has for us and for, for our, our nation, our world, and, and the nations, God, my prayer is that you would help us to simply be faithful where we are, to be faithful in the, in the small things, making disciples where we find ourselves, wherever we find ourselves, wherever opportunity presents itself, may we be faithful. May we preach the gospel of Christ faithfully, expecting that you would advance. Oh God, that is our longing this morning, is that the gospel would advance, that your kingdom would advance, that the nations would bow the knee and kiss the sun. Oh God, that is our prayer for our nation this morning, is our prayer for all the nations. And so we pray, God, plow the nations under through the gospel. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.